Section 17 of Four Science Fiction Novellas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Four Science Fiction Novellas by Harold Vincent. Wanderer of Infinity, Part 1. Lenville. Bert Redmond had never heard of the place until he received Joan's letter. But here it was, a tiny, straggling village cuddled amongst the Ramapo Hills of lower New York State, only a few miles from Tuxedo. There was a prim, white-painted church, a general store with the inevitable gasoline pump at the curb, and a dozen or so of weather-beaten frame houses. That was all. It was a typical, dusty crossroads hamlet of the vintage of thirty years before, utterly isolated and apart from the rushing life of the broad concrete highway so short a distance away. Bert stopped his ancient and battered fliver at the corner where a group of overall loungers was gathered. Its asthmatic motor died with a despairing cough as he cut the ignition. "'Anyone tell me where to find the Carmody place?' he sang out. No one answered and for a moment there was no movement amongst his listeners. Then one of the loungers, an old man with a stubble of gray beard, drew near, and regarded him through thick spectacles. "'You ain't aiming to go up there alone, be you?' the old fellow asked in a thin, cracked voice. "'Certainly. Why?' Bert caught a peculiar gleam in the watery old eyes that were enlarged so enormously by the thick lenses." It was fear of the supernatural that lurked there, stark terror, almost. "'Don't you go up to the Carmody place, young feller. "'They's queer doings in the big house, is why. "'Blue lights at night and noises inside and a crackling like thunder overhead.' "'Ah, shit up, Gramp!' Another of the idlers, a youngster with chubby features and downy of lip and chin, sauntered over from the group, interrupting the old man's discourse. "'Don't listen to him,' he said to Bert. "'He's cracked a mite, been seeing things. "'The big house is up yonder on the hill. "'See, with the red chimbley showing through the trees? "'There's a winding road down there a piece.' Bert followed the pointing finger with sudden anxious gaze. It was not an inviting spot, that tangle of second-growth timber and underbrush that hid the big house on the lonely hillside. It might conceal almost anything.' and Joan Parker was there. The one called Gramp was screeching invectives at the grinning bystanders. "'You passled young digits,' he stormed. "'I seen it, I tell you, and I heard things, too. The devil himself is up there, and his imps. We oughtn't let this feller go.' Bert waited to hear no more. Unreasoning fear came to him that something was very much amiss up there at the big house, and he started the flivver with a thunderous barrage of its exhaust. The words of Joan's note were vivid in his mind. Come to me, Bert, at the Carmody place in Linville. Believe me, I need you. Only that, but it had been sufficient to bring the young Redmond across three states to this measly town that wasn't even on the road maps. Bert yanked the bouncing car into the winding road that led up the hill and thought grimly of the quarrel with Joan two years before. He had told her then, arrogantly, that she'd need him some day. But now that his words had proved true, the fact brought him no consolation nor the slightest elation. 
Joan was there in this lonely spot, and she did need him. That was enough. He attacked it in vain with his fists. He ran nervous fingers through his already tousled mop of sandy hair, a habit he had when disturbed, and nearly wrecked the car on a grey boulder that encroached on one of the two ruts which, together, had been termed a road. Stupid, that quarrel of theirs! And how stubborn both had been! Joan had insisted on going to the big city to follow the career her brother had chosen for her. Chemistry, biology, laboratory work. Bert sniffed even now. But he had been equally stubborn in his insistence that she marry him instead, and settle down on the Middle Western fruit farm. With a sudden twist, the road turned in at the entrance of a sadly neglected estate. The grounds of the place were overrun with rank growths, and the driveway was covered with weeds. The tumble-down gables of a decrepit frame house peeped out through the trees. It was a rambling old building that once had been a mansion, a big house of the natives. A musty air of decay was upon it, and crazily askew window shutters proclaimed deep-shrouded mystery within. Bert drew up at the rickety porch and stopped the fliver with its usual shuddering jerk. As if his coming had been watched for through the stained glass of its windows, the door was flung violently open. A white-clad figure darted across the porch, but not before Bert had untangled the lean six feet of him from under the fliver's wheel and bounded up the steps. Joan! Bert, I'm sorry. Me too, swallowing hard. Bert Redmond held her close. But I won't go back to Indiana. The girl raised her chin and the old defiance was in her tearful gaze. Bert stared. Joan was white and wan, a mere shadow of her old self. And she was trembling, hysterical. That's all right, he whispered. But tell me now, what is it? What's wrong? With sudden vigor she was drawing him into the house. "'It's Tom,' she quavered. "'I can't do a thing with him. "'Can't get him to leave here. "'And something terrible is about to happen. "'I know. "'I thought perhaps you could help. "'Even if—' "'Tom Parker here?' Bert was surprised that the fastidious older brother "'should leave his comfortable city quarters "'and lose himself in this godforsaken place. "'Sure. "'I'll help, dear, if I can.' "'Oh, you can. "'Oh, I'm sure you can.' The girl went on tremulously. A spot of color flared in either cheek. It's his experiments. He came over from New York about a year ago and rented this old house. The city laboratory wasn't secluded enough, and I've helped him until now in everything. But I'm frightened. He's playing with dangerous forces. He doesn't understand, won't understand, but I saw... And then Joan Parker slumped into a high-backed chair that stood in the ancient paneled hall. Soft waves of her chestnut hair framed the pinched, terrified face, and wide eyes looked up at Bert, with the same horror he had seen in those of the old fellow in the village. A surge of the old tenderness welled up in him, and he wanted to take her in his arms. "'Wait,' she said, swiftly rising. "'I'll let you judge for yourself. Here,' "'Go into the laboratory and talk with Tom.' "'She pushed him forward and through a door that closed softly behind him. "'He was in a large room that was cluttered with the most bewildering array of electrical mechanisms he had ever seen. 
Joan had remained outside. Tom Parker, his hair grayer and forehead higher than when Bert had seen him last, rose from where he was stooping over a workbench. He advanced, smiling, and his black eyes were alight with genuine pleasure. Bert had anticipated a less cordial welcome. "'Albert Redmond!' exclaimed the older man. "'This is a surprise. Glad to see you. Boy, glad to see you.' He meant it. Tom did. And Bert wrung the extended hand heartily. Yet he dared not tell of Joan's note. The two men had always been the very best of friends, except in the matter of Joan's future. "'You haven't changed much,' Bert ventured. Tom Parker laughed. "'Not about Joan, if that's what you mean.' She likes the work and will go far in it. Why, Bert? Say, wait a minute. Bert Redmond's mien was solemn. I saw her outside, Tom, and was shocked. She isn't herself. Doesn't look at all well. Haven't you noticed, man? The older man sobered and a puzzled frown crossed his brow. I have noticed, yes. But it's nonsense. Bert, I swear it is. She has been having dreams. "'Worrying a lot, it seems. "'Guess I'll have to send her to the doctor.' "'Dreams? Worry?' "'Bert thought of the old man called Gramp. "'Yes, I'll tell you all about it, "'what we're working on here, and show you. "'It's no wonder she gets that way, I guess. "'I've been a bit loony with the marvel of it myself at times. "'Come here.' "'Tom led him to an intricate apparatus "'which bore some resemblance to a television radio.' There were countless vacuum tubes and their controls, tiny motors belted to slotted discs that would spin when power was applied, and a double eyepiece. Before I let you look, Tom was saying, I'll give you an idea of it, to prepare you. This is a mechanism I've developed for a study of the less understood dimensions. The results have more than justified my expectations. They're astounding. Bert, we can actually see into these realms that were hitherto unexplored. We can examine at close range the life of these other planes. Think of it. Life? Plane? Dimensions? said Bert blankly. Remember, I know very little about this science of yours. Haven't you read the newspaper accounts of Einstein's researches and of others who have delved into the theory of relativity? Say, I read them. "'but they don't tell me a thing. "'It's over my head a mile. "'Well, listen, this universe of ours, "'space and all it contains, "'is a thing of five dimensions, "'a continuum we have never begun to contemplate "'in its true complexity and immensity. "'There are three of its dimensions "'with which we are familiar. "'Our normal senses perceive and understand them, "'length, breadth, and thickness. "'The fourth dimension, time.' or more properly, the time-space interval, we have only recently understood. And this fifth dimension, Bert, is something no man on earth has delved into, excepting myself. You don't say, Bert was properly impressed. The old gleam of the enthusiastic scientist was in Tom's keen eyes. Surest thing. I've called this fifth dimension the interval of oscillation, though the term is not precisely correct. It has to do with the arrangement, the speed and direction of movement, and the polarity of protonic and electronic energy charges of which matter is comprised. 
it upsets some of our old and accepted natural laws, one in particular. Bert, two objects can occupy the same space at the same time, though only one is perceptible to our earthbound senses. Their differently constituted atoms exist in the same location without interference, merely vibrating in different planes. There are many such planes in this fifth dimension of space, all around us, some actually inhabited. Each plane has a different atomic structure of matter, its own oscillation interval of the energy that is matter, and a set of natural laws peculiar to itself. I can't begin to tell you, in fact. I've explored only a fraction. But here, look. Tom's instrument set up a soft purring at his touch of a lever, and eerie blue light flickered from behind the double eyepiece, casting grotesque shadows on the walls and ceiling and paling to insignificance the light of day that filtered through the long unwashed windows. Bert squinted through the hooded twin lenses. At first he was dazed and confused by the rapidly whirling light images, but these quickly resolved into geometric figures, an inconceivable number of them, extending off into limitless space in a huge arc, revolving and tumbling like the colored particles in an old-fashioned kaleidoscope. Cubes, pyramids and cones of variegated hues. Swift rushing spheres and long slim cylinders of brilliant blue-white, gleaming disks of polished jet, spinning. Abruptly the view stabilized, and clear-cut stationary objects sprang into being. An unbroken vista of seamed chalky cliffs beside an inky sea whose waters rose and fell rhythmically, yet did not break against the towering palisade. Waveless, glass-smooth, these waters. A huge, blood-redded sun hanging low in a leaden, though cloudless sky, reflecting scintillating flecks of gold and purple brilliance from the ocean's black surface. At first there was no sign of life to be seen. Then a mound was rising up from the sea near the cliff, a huge, tortoise-like shape that stretched forth several flat members which adhered to the vertical white wall as if held by suction discs. Ponderously the thing turned over and headed up from the inky depths, spewing out from its concave underside an army of funny brown bipeds. Creatures bloated with torsos in which head and body merged so closely as to be indistinguishable one from the other balanced precariously on two spindly legs, and with long thin arm-like tentacles, waving and coiling. Spider-like beans ran out over the smooth dark surface of the sea as if it were solid ground. Jupiter! Bert looked up from the eyepiece, blinking into the triumphant grinning face of Tom Parker. You mean to tell me these creatures are real? he demanded. Living here, all around us, in another plane where we can't see them without this machine of yours. Sure thing, and this is but one of many such planes. They can't get through to our plane? Lord no, man, how could they? A sharp crackling peal of thunder rang out overhead, and Tom Parker went suddenly white. Outside the sky was cloudless. And that, what's that? Bert remembered the warning of the old man of the village, and Joan's obvious fear. It's, it's only a physical manifestation of the forces I use in obtaining visual connection, one of the things that worries Joan. Yet I can't find any cause for alarm. 
the scientist's voice droned on endlessly technically but bert knew there was something tom didn't understand something he was trying desperately to explain to himself thunder rumbled once more and bert returned his eyes to the instrument directly before him in the field of vision a group of the spider-men advanced over the pitchy sea with a curiously constructed cage of woven transparent material which they set down at a point so close by that it seemed he could touch it if he stretched out his hand the illusion of physical nearness was perfect the evil eyes of the creatures were fastened upon him tentacle arms uncoiled and reached forth as if to break down the barrier that separated them and then a scream penetrated his consciousness wrenching him back to consideration of his immediate surroundings the laboratory door burst open and joan pale and disheveled dashed into the room tom shouted running forward to intercept her and bird saw what he had not seen before a ten-foot circle of blue-white metal set in the floor and illuminated by a shaft of light from a reflector on the ceiling above tom's machine joan the force area tom was yelling keep away tom had reached the distraught girl and was struggling with her over on the far side of the disc there came a throbbing of the very air surrounding them and bert saw tom and joan on the other side of the force area their white faces indistinct and wavering as if blurred by heat waves rising between them the rumblings and crackings overhead increased intensity until the old house swayed and creaked with the concussions hazy forms materialized on the lighted disc the cage of the transparent woven basket dark spidery forms within the creatures from that other plane joan tom bird's voice was soundless as he tried to shout and his muscles were paralyzed when he attempted to hurl himself across to them the blue light had spread and formed a huge bubble of white brilliance a transparent elastic solid that flung him back when he attacked it in vain with his fists within its confines he saw joan and her brother scuffling with the spider-men tearing at the tentacle arms that encircled them and drew them relentlessly into the basket-weave cage there was a tremendous thump and the warping of the very universe about them all bert redmond his body racked by unsupportable tortures was hurled into the black abyss of infinity this was not death nor was it a dream from which he would awaken after that moment of mental agony and ghastly physical pain after a dizzying rush through inky nothingness bert knew suddenly that he was very much alive if he had lost consciousness at all it had been for no great length of time and yet there was this sense of strangeness in his surroundings a feeling that he had been transported over some nameless gulf of space he had dropped to his knees but with the swift return of normal faculties he jumped to his feet a tall stranger confronted him a half-nude giant with bronze skin and of solemn visage the stalwart build of him and the smooth contours of cheek and jaw proclaimed him a man not yet past middle age but his uncropped hair was white as the driven snow they stood in a spherical chamber of silvery metal bird and this giant and the gentle vibration of delicately balanced machinery made itself felt in the structure of joan and tom there was no sign where am i bert demanded and where are my friends 
why am i with you without them compassion was in the tall stranger's gaze and something more the pain of a great sorrow filled the brown eyes that looked down at bert and resignation to a fate that was shrouded in ineffable mystery trust me he said in a mellow slurring voice where you are you shall soon learn you are safe and your friends will be located will be located don't you know where they are bert laid hands on the big man's wrists and shook him impatiently the stranger was too calm and unmoved in the face of this tremendous thing which had come to pass i know where they have been taken yes but there is no need of haste out here in infradimensional space for time stands still we will find it a simple matter to reach the plane of their captors the bardics within a few seconds after your friends arrive there my plane segregator this sphere will accomplish this in due season strangely bert believed him this talk of dimensions and planes and of the halting of time was incomprehensible but somehow there was communicated to his own restless nature something of the placid serenity of the white-haired stranger he regarded the man more closely saw there was an alien look about him that marked him as different and apart from the men of earth his sole garment was a wide breech cloud of silvery stuff that glinted with changing colors hues foreign to nature on earth he was a superhuman perfection of muscular development and there was an indescribable mingling of gentleness and sternness in his demeanor with a start bert noted that his fingers were webbed as were his toes say bert exclaimed who are you anyway the stranger permitted himself the merest ghost of a smile you may call me wanderer he said i am the wanderer of infinity infinity you are not of my world but no you speak my language it is one of many with which i am familiar i i don't understand bert redmond was like a man in a trance completely under the spell of his amazing host's personality it is given to few men to understand the wanderer fell silent his arms folded across his broad chest and his great shoulders bowed as under the weight of centuries of mankind's cares yet i would have you understand o man called bert for the tale is a strange one and is heavy upon me it was uncanny that this wanderer should address him by name bert thrilled to a new sense of awe but he objected my friends are in the hands of the spider-men you said we'd go to them good lord man i've got to do it you forget that time means nothing here we will go to them in precise synchronism with the proper time as existent in that plane the wanderer's intense gaze held bert speechless hypnotized a swift dimming of the sphere's diffused illumination came immediately, and the darkness swept down like a blanket, thick and stifling. This was no ordinary darkness, but the utter absence of light, the total obscurity of Erebus. And the hidden motors throbbed with sudden new vigor. Behold! At the wanderer's exclamation the enclosing sphere became transparent, and they were in the midst of a dizzying maelstrom of flashing color. Brilliant geometric shapes, there were, whirling off into the vastness of space, as Bert had seen them in Tom Parker's instrument. 
a gigantic arc of rushing light forms spanning the black gulf of an unknown cosmos and in the foreground directly under the sphere was a blue-white disk horizontally fixed a substantial and familiar object with hazy surroundings likewise familiar isn't that the metal platform in my friend's laboratory asked bert marveling it is indeed the mellow voice of the wanderer was grave and he laid a hand on bert's arm and for so long as it exists it constitutes a serious menace to your civilization it is a gateway to your world a means of contact with your plane of existence for those many vicious hordes that dwell in other planes of the fifth dimension without it the bardex had not been able to enter and effect the kidnapping of your friends oh i tried so hard to warn them parker and the girl but could not do it in time a measure of understanding came to bert redmond this was the thing joan had feared and which tom parker had neglected to consider the forces which enabled the scientists to see into the mysterious planes of this uncharted realm were likewise capable of providing physical contact between the planes or actual travel from one to the other tom had not learned how to use the forces in this manner but the bardex had we travel now along a different set of coordinates those of space-time said the wanderer we go into the past through eons of time as it is counted in your world into the past bert repeated he stared foolishly at his host whose eyes glittered strangely in the flickering light yes we go to my home to what was my home to your home why Bert shrank before the awful contorted face of the wanderer. A spasm of ferocity had crossed it on his last words. Some fearful secret must be gnawing at the big man's vitals. Again, you must trust me. To understand, it is necessary that you see. The gentle whir of machinery rose to a piercing shriek as the wanderer manipulated the tiny levers of a control board that was set in the smooth, transparent wall and the rushing light forms outside became a blur at first then a solid stream of cold liquid fire into which they plunged at breakneck speed there was no perceptible motion of the sphere however it was the only object that seemed substantial and fixed in an intangible and madly gyrating universe its curved wall though transparent was solid comforting to the touch standing by his instrument board the wanderer was engrossed in a tabulation of mathematical data he was apparently using in setting the many control knobs before him plotting their course through infinity his placid serenity of countenance had returned but there was a new eagerness in his intense gaze and his strong fingers trembled while he manipulated the tiny levers and dials outside the apparently motionless sphere a never-ending riot of color surged swiftly and silently by, now swirling violently in great sweeping arcs of blinding magnificence, now changing character and driving down from dizzying heights as a dim-lit column of gray that might have been a blast of steam from some huge inverted geyser of the cosmos. Always there were the intermittent black bands that flashed swiftly across the brightness, momentarily darkening the sphere and then passing on into the limbo of this strange realm between planes abruptly then like the turning of a page in some gigantic book 
the swift-moving phantasmagoria swung back into the blackness of the infinite and was gone before them stretched a landscape of rolling hills and fertile valleys overhead the skies were a deep blue almost violet and twin suns shone down on the scene the sphere drifted along a few hundred feet from the surface eutraria the wanderer breathed reverently his white head was bowed and his great hands clutched the small rail of the control board in a daze of conflicting emotions bert watched as this land of peace and plenty slipped past beneath them this he knew had been the home of the wanderer in what past age or how at a great distance it was from his own world he could only imagine but that the big man who called himself wanderer loved this country there was not the slightest doubt it was a fetish with him a past he was in duty bound to revisit time and again and to mourn over smooth broad lakes there were and glistening streams that ran their winding courses through well-kept and productive farmlands and scattered communities with orderly streets and spacious parks roads stretching endless ribbons of wide metallic surface across the countryside long two-wheeled vehicles skimming over the roads with speeds so great the eye could scarcely follow them flapping winged ships of the air flying high and low in all directions a great city of magnificent dome-topped buildings looming up suddenly at the horizon the sphere proceeded swiftly toward the city once a great airliner flapping huge gossamer-like wings dove directly toward them bert cried out in alarm and ducked instinctively but the ship passed through them and on its way it was as if they did not exist in this spherical vehicle of the dimensions end of section seventeen